All right, welcome back to the Hockey Minute. I'm your host, Brandon, and I've got a huge show for you guys today. A great interview with Bick Nazar, the host of Canucks Central on Sportsnet 650. We get into the Canucks' embarrassing loss to the Oilers, one of many of late. The future of Travis Green and Jim Banning, and even a little bit of sports talk in Vancouver in the wake of the 1040 layoffs. And in the hockey world, Connor McDavid is on fire. Claude Julien got fired, and the Canucks are playing like they wish they could get fired. And that brings me to this week's rant. Another night, another embarrassing loss for the Canucks as they gave up a three-goal lead to lose 4-3 to the Oilers in regulation. Travis Green, with the resting sad face to match the rest of Canucks Nation, said, quite frankly, I think we had some individuals who didn't play good enough tonight. Well, I'd say that's true for the season, Travis. Canucks are 8-13-2 through 23 games. 18 points in 23 games, good for a 391 point percentage, third worst in the league, and they are showing night after night they don't have the roster to be a contender in the playoffs. A team like Toronto was able to stumble their way through the first month of the season and still pick up wins, while the Canucks need to play their best game to have success, something they're simply not capable of most nights, as they've shown with their 391 point percentage to this point. The Canucks would need to play at a 681 clip going forward and to go something like 22-10-1 to close out the season to even give themselves a chance of making the playoffs. It's just not happening. The season is done. They have one of the brightest cores in the league, and there is a huge potential for this team to be a contender for years to come. But this year isn't it. This is the year to get out in front of the trade deadline, collect picks from expiring contracts, and use those picks as leverage to pry veterans from teams facing hard decisions in the expansion draft. With what's expected to be a quieter trade deadline and a buyer's market, this is not the year to wait and see. The season is done for the Canucks. It's time for Jim Benning to be proactive and not let this turn into another ham you situation where the expiring UFAs walk for nothing. I know Canucks fans are nervous about what might happen with Benning's hands on the wheel, and they should be, but what other choice does ownership have? There's no time to conduct a proper GM search before these important decisions have to be made. So it's going to be up to Jim Benning whether the Canucks will sink or swim this season and possibly going forward. The bright side for Canucks is this. There are moves to be made. There is a way forward, and Canucks fans should be praying that Benning can find a way to make it work because this young core is too good to waste with middling management. All right, you're listening to the Hockey Minute. I am Brandon Frederick, and that was this week's rant brought to you by absolutely nobody. For sponsorship opportunities, drop me a line at hockeyminute at gmail.com. Okay, it's time to throw it over to our interview with Bick Nazar of Sportsnet 650. Make sure you give him a follow at Bick 650 on Twitter, and hope you enjoy the show. Hey, it's Ray Farrell from TSN and the Ray and Dregs Hockey Podcast. I was going through some stuff, and I realized there's another podcast out there, The Hockey Minute. Farrell steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! They slayed the dragon! Really? Another hockey podcast? Another podcast in general? And, like, is it a minute long, or is it, like, a full podcast? the first open ice big hit that Scott Stevens has thrown in the series. Paul Correa landed on his back and didn't move. And the fans on their feet because Paul Correa has just come back from the dressing room wow. and onto the bench. Into the zone, Sakura kicked it out, got it back near side Correa. Correa, the fans want one. Score! 
really can't get behind this idea. I mean, like, what the hell do you know about hockey? And who is the hockey man? Who? Like, anybody. Anybody know? Gary McSorley to Gretzky! Find out. Listen. Check it out. I mean, it's only going to take a minute. It won't take that much time. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to see if this podcast is any good. But do you even know how to skate? And after 22 years, Raymond Marsh! Be well, Hockey Minute. Be well, Brandon. Later. All right, guys, Vic Nazar joining us from uh, Sportsnext 650. He's the host of Canuck Central as well as the producer of the program and Football Central. Vic's going to join us to talk about the Canucks the, the morning after another gut punch loss for the team uh, where they squandered a 3-0 lead this time up in the ante from their usual 2-0 squandering. And I thought, boy, uh, at least Vic and I are going to have no shortage of things to get into following last night's game. And then I woke up to see that Claude Julian is no longer coaching the Habs. So, Vic, thanks so much for doing this, man. Let's get into it. Uh, what did you make of last night's performance? Uh, disappointing. I, I, yeah. like, I, like, I know Travis said the same thing last night. Uh there's there's no other way around it. I sat here on Canucks Central and did the show uh, three weeks ago. You'll remember when they lost uh, 5-3 to Montreal. Yep. And, you know, they had a pushback in the third and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of the players said, hey, look, it's a step in the right direction. It's something positive. It's something we can build off. And I, I, I sat there uh, the next day. I was like, you just lost 5-3. And it, it, it looked better because there was a pushback at the end of the game. Yeah. And I didn't like that quote back then, just because I felt like that's, that's not a standard to lose the way you have been to Montreal so many times in a row. And then to lose that game and say, hey, look, it's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So we're three weeks removed from then. And this this step in the right direction has never really materialized. And the problem I had back then is it wasn't like that wasn't a good standard. And you see yesterday, it's like, okay, you get up three, nothing. But this whole point is like, you got to keep raising your, your, your level through the course of a season. You can't plateau. You got to keep working towards something better. And last night felt like revisiting something that happened three weeks ago. It's Edmonton raised their level full credit to them. Cause, cause that's, what's going to happen. And Vancouver buckled. It's the only way to say it. They, they cratered. And I'm sure amongst Canucks fans, uh, like when, when it was three, one, what were your feelings? Yeah, you, like you know, I was actually thinking about this, man. It's it's pretty funny at at three one, even like because you know three three nothing going into the second mm-hmm. that would have been beautiful, and then it hits three one. You're like, oh, buddy, here we go again. Yeah. And then the instant it was three three, I knew that the the Oilers were gonna were gonna take the lead. Like it, it was just it was a it was a fact of that it was gonna happen. It's just a matter of when. And watching the Canucks players play, you kind of felt like they feel the same way, right? They're just feeling like it's gonna happen at a certain point. So. And, and uh, it wasn't just that they came back or the, the, the feeling yeah. of that inevitability. It was like that Cahoon goal, the first one. It, it was like that weird type of goal. Yeah. And it, it just, it, it brings up the emotions of, man, like that's a bad goal to let in. And when you start thinking about that, it, it, it morphs into, before you know it, okay, what's the next bad thing that's going to happen? And can we survive it? Yeah. And okay, they went a period and a half before the next goal, but... It, as soon as that second Cahoon goal went, you just saw it just yeah. everything started to fall apart, especially that three, two goal. Like he enters the zone or I can't remember who entered the zone. I think it was Yamamoto and it's a one on three. 
And before you know it, it's a three on two. Yeah. It's a fire drill. And like when that goal goes in, it's like, okay, that, that's the beginning of the end, basically. Yeah. So do you think that perhaps the uh, the expectations were set a bit too high in the bubble? I mean, like people look back and think that, okay, the Canucks made it to the second round, basically, right? Plus, plus the play in. And they think that that's what they should be at this year. But I think people are kind of forgetting the performance that the Canucks put up in the bubble, right? They, they, you can't rely on that level of goaltending to get you through a season. You just, you know, the averages are going to mm-hmm. weigh in and eventually the team's going to regress. So do you think that perhaps the standards and, and the expectations are set a bit too high? Because when you look at the actual roster of this team, the way the bottom six is laid out, the way that the the, the, the the bottom pairings are, are, I mean, there's just, it's not a very good team. Let's let's be honest. They, they need a, a lot of roster improvement. So do, do, do you think that fans for perhaps are, are thinking too much of this team? Uh, no, fans fans should expect. Yeah. It, absolutely, right? Like, they were – I, I, I kind of shrug at saying that they're not a very good team or they were not a very good team last year. Like, I understand mm-hmm. the sentiment that they, they gave up chances last year. Markstrom made a lot of saves. He was one of the best goalies, if not the best goalie, last season in the NHL. Uh, but I, I, I feel it, it – it, kind of does a disservice to the Detroit's of the autos of the world, right? Like that's like, that's bad hockey. The LA Kings yeah, last yeah, year, that like, yeah. that's bad hockey. The San Jose Sharks, the Canucks yeah. aren't that. And in the NHL, there is a big clump of like, like what's the difference between the 10th best team and the 23rd best team. It's, right. it's fairly small. And for me, the Canucks last year were somewhere between to start the year, somewhere between 16 to 20th best team. And as the season went along, you could say, okay, the power play is good. Quinn Hughes is legit. They're probably somewhere between 11 to 14. And then they have success in the bubble. You hope at that stage that they're about a 13th overall team and that can grow into more coming into this year. And I think that's fair for fans to expect. You you get to the playoffs. You taste it a little bit. You have some success. Like the second round was gravy for, for the Canucks. Like that's yep. that's just extra. But now the baseline should be playoffs. The baseline every year for Canucks fans and Canucks management, Canucks players, everyone now should mm-hmm. be playoffs. You have Elias Pettersson. You have Quinn Hughes. You have an emerging Brock Besser. Like, these aren't things that you need to project anymore. You don't have to assume that, hey, what if Pettersson or Hughes is going to be superstars? They they are superstars. And mm-hmm. they have you know, rare talent and you can get a lot farther with a lot less and many teams have in the NHL than outside of just these superstar players. So like, I get what you're saying. Should we course correct and say, well, look, here's the reality of the situation. Well, the reality of the situation is there, there were a a fringe bubble team last year that had a good power play that carried them into the playoffs this year. They're probably similar but the power play hasn't been as effective. The top line hasn't been as effective. Uh, there's issues, of course, in the bottom six. Yeah, but all these issues have persisted for some time. Now, the goaltending yeah. differential, you're right, matters here in this scenario. Uh, but there's still a lot of underachieving assets in front oh, of yeah. the goaltending. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that kind of takes me to my next question there. I mean, in his postgame presser, Coach Travis Green mentioned a couple of players weren't playing well. Uh, without naming names, I mean, honestly, I've got a pretty hard time narrowing it down to just two. But who do you think that Green was kind of singling out there without singling out? To just two players? Uh, man, it, like last night's a hard one. To exactly. Kind of... Yeah, exactly. I, I guess Antoine Roussel would take it a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I didn't necessarily love Bo Horvat's game. Um, 
Like he, he scores the goal, but yeah. is that a goal that you feel it can get repeated a lot? Probably exactly, not, yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, and it's an element to his game where he tends to cheat a bit in the defensive zone and just leads mm-hmm. to not necessarily always goals, but longer possessions. It, it, he's got he's got that demeanor where he wants to do so much, right? Like we know, Bo, yeah. no, nobody ever questions Bohorvet's effort, but sometimes he kind of gets it in his own way of, hey, this guy's got to be covering this guy and I got to go do that. Well, now you're leaving a gap open behind you. And that happens sometimes. If you go through it, like Tanner Pearson's game yesterday probably wasn't as effective enough. Yeah. Uh, Jake Vertanen, <laughs> Tyler yeah. Myers, right? I mean, you can. Vertanen yeah. and, uh, you know, Zach McEwen probably didn't have the best game either yeah. uh, yesterday. Didn't play much, though. I mean, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's hard to hard to single it's... out the fourth line guys when the, the, the top two lines aren't doing too much. For sure. And like I will say, like I thought Pedersen. Like that's the type of performance you kind of want to see from Elias Pettersson. Because yeah, I thought yeah. I thought he was really strong. Now they're they're on the ice for that uh, second Cahoon goal or the first Cahoon goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, so that's unfortunate. But it, it just for whatever reason, like we we've, we've talked about. Okay, they they fall behind and they now they're blowing leads. Now the power play, like everything, hasn't worked in concert with yeah. each other once this season. Like yeah. once. Like maybe yeah. maybe one of the Ottawa games, but that's really about it. Yeah, that's that's totally fair, and I mean, just the people that uh, even even the Canucks still thinking about the playoffs, man. I think that's a little bit crazy. I mean, the, the Canucks are currently sitting on a point three ninety one point percentage, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if even if they played five hundred hockey for the rest of the year, they'd be sitting at fifty one points, which is twelve under the projected bar. And I mean, that would represent a twenty five percent improvement in performance for them to to, to get to five hundred hockey, yeah. let alone the extra twelve points they need to make it to what we think is the playoff bar. Like, I think. There's just no way that they're going to make it as a playoff team this year. And I think this is probably the last year we should think about the Canucks as sellers moving into the deadline, right? To, to actually try and recoup something for the assets and, and until the next three or four years when they're making, they're trying to make deep runs, they're going to try and keep all these UFAs and RFAs until they, they walk, right? That's just going to be the way that it has to go. So can you actually see the Canucks management making that turn this year and, and seeing themselves as being sellers? Or do you think that they're going to double down and just try and scrape their way to the playoffs, even though they represent the third worst team by points percentage? Yeah, I mean, the reality situation is, is exactly what you said, right? Yeah. Uh, it's not been good enough so far this season. So yeah. you would hope uh, the obvious realities indicate, hey, the, the push to the playoffs is going to be a difficult one. I, the thing I don't want to see, like the worst case scenario here is April 11th or April 12th, whatever day you want to say, or around the trade deadline, which is the 12th. Um, if they're four points out and they're thinking, you know what, we've done a good job to get back into this race. Do we go for it? And I don't mean go for it of acquire some talent. Just these are our guys. We kind of brought ourselves back into it. Do we think we can make it the rest of the way? Right. Cause you got to remember yeah. it's all divisional matchups. You can make up ground pretty fast. So that to me would be the worst case scenario. And that's why we've talked about recently on Sportsnet 650 and any of the shows, like what is the sell date? Cause you need to have a date where it's yep. the task becomes too difficult and you have to start looking at it in the risk outweighs the reward. Right. Cause it, look, the, these are professional executives coaches players they, mm-hmm. they want to win and you you have to give as much of an honest effort to push it to say look we're still going for the playoffs as as idealistic as that might sound like 
that's just their nature. They're not in yep. a Anaheim stage of, hey, let's play the young guys. This isn't two years ago where we're putting Pedersen out and Goldobin or whoever it is. They're, mm-hmm. they're not trying to give chances to young players. It's yep. They need wins. So the, you start looking at the schedule and, like, what is your drop dead date, basically? Uh, I think you're justified. Like, if they lose tomorrow, I think it's fair to say Friday is your drop dead date. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know, if Sat has talked about after the Toronto series, so that'd be March sixth. If that's how you want to view it, yeah. um, that's a time to look at it. Tr- uh, also, the the interesting thing here is to, it, just exactly what you talked about. Like, even if they go five hundred, it, it's it's not good enough. Everything is external to them right now. And what's mm-hmm. fascinating because of this Canadian division, it's okay. Look at Calgary. How how stable are they right now? I, and I know they're outside of a playoff spot, but yeah. If you're looking at trying to catch teams, like they're not exactly stable right now. Montreal just fired their coach, right? Mm-hmm. It, it does. Does that provoke the idea of, hey, like, where are they right now? Could they slide out of it? Because nobody's had as bad of a stretch as Vancouver so far in the Canadian division. It, yeah. it hasn't happened. Teams have slumped. I, I mean, outside of Ottawa, but that, they don't really count this year. Yeah. Uh, if one of those teams has a slide, and Winnipeg mm-hmm. could have a slide too because their schedule gets really tough here if one of those teams starts to slide and now Vancouver to what you're talking about plays 500 and just by osmosis kind of catches up like that's, that's what needs to happen to keep the idea of playoffs alive is other teams need to hit their struggles. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think the Canucks have kind of floundered the entire season while these other Canadian teams have kind of taken a week each where they they'll hit the skids a little bit and then they manage to kind of, to, get back to some kind of form so i i mean yeah just as a, a long time canucks fan man i'm uh i'm not hopeful but i've been burned i've been burned so many times before Look, I, I, yeah. I, the, the math of it suggests they're not going to make it yeah. right like it's it's too difficult um but we haven't seen the trouble spots for the other four playoff teams just yet and yeah. the longer you can wait to push that button of sell is better but you can't leave it too late like you can't leave it till april if they're in this spot yeah. where they're four points out come April mm-hmm. it's, it's too late you have to start looking to become a seller right and I, I think this has been touched on a, a, a fair bit but I mean this is uh, I think most people are expecting it's going to be a pretty muted trade deadline compared mm-hmm. to most years because of everything that's going on with the pandemic and I, I think there's probably a pretty limited market for a guy like Brandon Sutter and Tanner Pearson uh, I think there is a market available, but I think that there's probably, you know, maybe five or six players that are going to fit the two or three teams that are looking for those those spots. So it's like uh, if, if the Canucks can't get in front of it, they may be left holding the bag regardless of whether or not they've decided to make the move, right? Yeah, that's entirely possible. Uh, I, I think I, I kind of feel like of the two, who's more likely to be traded? I would probably say Pearson. Yeah, I think so too. Just because, you know, he can play on the second line. Like Brandon yeah. Sutter's not a second line player, no. Uh, so y- you can build the case of hey injuries or whatever the scenario is. The Tanner Pearson can fill in in a pinch in the top yeah. six for for any team, and in that way, you could say he's got a lot more value. The the Sutter thing is going to be interesting because, and, and Elliot Friedman made the point yesterday. It's like, Vancouver's not the only team selling, right? Exactly. It, yeah. It's if you think you're getting a third round pick for Brandon Sutter. Like you better be going to a team that really likes Brandon Sutter. Yeah. Cause the difference between him and a bunch of other guys, especially in this COVID world where owners are going to love to get money off the books. Yeah. It, it might drive down his price uh, uh, significantly. So mm-hmm. that's, 
that's the one I'm concerned about more so than the Tanner Pearson one. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with you there. And I mean, as you move down the list of UFAs and RFAs, I, I just think that it gets more and more untradeable, right? I mean, you look at Bretan and yeah, you know, like I realize he's not an RFA. He's got one more year left for the 3.4. This gets talked to death, but he's, he's not going anywhere, man, unless they cannot sweeten the pot significantly. And I don't think that ownership or management has the stomach to do that right now for Bretan. And so I think they're going to carry that for a while. Uh, but I mean, just quickly, the, the, the UFA is coming up. We have Pearson, Sutter, Adler, Ben, and Hamannick. Right. So of all those players, I don't think anybody's going to see a spot. Edler is never going to wave. Uh, maybe Ben and Hamannick have value somewhere. I don't really see them going anywhere for a fifth or sixth because yeah. then who are, who are the Canucks going to bring up to play in those spots? Right. They're not going to play the last 25 games with three rookies in their back end. It's just it's not a functional way to play. Yeah, it'd be tough to see what Rathbone, Ulevi, and Chatfield, Raffier, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. or Chatfield. It would yeah. just be too difficult. Yeah. And and yeah. we talk about like how bad habits develop. That would be a way that it, it starts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just I don't imagine uh, Ben or Hamnick really, you know, perking people's interest. And uh, yeah. you know, Hamnick's got a no movement clause uh, as well, right? Oh, so. Right. So it, like that's gonna be tough as well. So so yeah, I I I, I guess like there's always depth available for Demon and, and teams always value that. I'm just not sure if Jordy Ben's guy people are gonna run for. Yeah, exactly. Like a, any player who's the seventh D-man on the Canucks, I think these other GMs have eyes, right? They realize that the Canucks seventh D-man is probably ninth or tenth on a real contending team. So. I just can't see it. Uh, so Claude, Claude Julien is a, you know, a, 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 a top tier coach in the NHL. Like, I don't think there's any denying that he's probably mm-hmm. in the, the upper echelon with the trots and, and those, those sorts of characters. But can you see him being a fit in Vancouver? I mean, he's such a defensive coach and I, I just, I, I don't really think that we have the roster here to, to fit his style. I think the Canucks are just going to lose three, two instead of five, two. I mean, that might be a, a, like a, a needed improvement, to, to be <laughs> yeah. honest. Uh, it's interesting with him. I, like, I, he is a defensive coach. I'm not disputing that. It just, I do look at Claude Julien as a coach's coach, right? Like, he, mm. to me, he kind of accentuates the best talents of his players. And it's not as if we would look at Boston from years back and say, they didn't have talent or he tried restricting talent Mm -hmm. because that's what I think of when I think of defensive coaches, right? You're trying Mm -hmm. to restrict talent and to play within your system. It's not as if Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand didn't have success. They weren't scoring, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They were effective. And like those players themselves are team game oriented players. And to me, to get five players to play together is like job number one for an NHL head coach. And to me, Montreal, like I know there's talent questions. And I know they haven't had the best to run here in the last little bit, but even last year or even two years ago when they first hired him, I just looked at Montreal and said, they play as a five man group better than almost anyone in the league. Boston, mm-hmm. obviously in that the chemistry they have line to line to line is obvious. It's very tangible. It's hard. It's hard to break them down. It's not necessarily always by, Hey, just sagging back and, and collapsing. It's just collectively, the, 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 they support the puck. They maintain possession, all those, these little check marks and getting people to play together to me is the most important job for a coach. Mm-hmm. If you can get people to buy into a message. And I look at Claude Julian and say, like, that's something that he's effective at. You mentioned trots. Like that's something he's effective at. To be honest, like with Travis Green, 
up until this year, you would say that's something he gets people to do. He gets the most out of people. He gets people to work together to, to achieve one goal. Mm -hmm. So would Claude Julian be a fit in Vancouver? Yeah. Like I think Claude Julian's a fit anywhere just because when the two toughest tasks to me, if you are successful at them, you can coach anywhere. Right. And to be honest, like I do think Travis Green is effective at that. Would I necessary yeah. to make the switch? Yeah, probably just because Claude Julian's got a longer resume, but I, I don't necessarily think that's fair to Travis Green. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we're in the same boat there. I think Julian's an excellent coach, but I really don't think this is this is on Green this year. I mean, I, he's I think he's done pretty well, especially the last I'd say eight or ten games of kind of helping the the team round into form defensively. Right, they've got the the forward coming back further in the zone and kind of like, like, as you're saying, tying the whole unit together instead of the, the D men trying to make that big stretch pass to kind of start every play. But uh, it's, it's still like, it's, I don't know, man, I feel like they're, they're a long ways away. And just kind of what we we're talking about before, I, as far as every team hitting the skids for a week or two here, I think Toronto did hit the skids at the start of the season. It's just their talent was enough to let them still win those games. Yeah. Right. Whereas the Canucks, if they're not playing a hundred percent perfectly, they're going to lose, they're going to lose every game. So I, they, they just have such a thin margin for error that I think that that kind of falls more on, on Benning. And, and I just, I'm not sure if Benning would even be allowed to make the switch right now. Can you see Aquilini letting Benning fire a coach, hire another coach when Benning's future may be hanging in the balance here at the end of the season? No, I, I couldn't imagine. Right. Cause, yeah. cause ultimately what happens is, is you go to the office of Francesca Aquilini and you say, Hey, this is something we want to do. Right. Yeah. The minute Jim Benning leaves that office, it, any owner is going to say, Hey, is this the guy I'm going to allow to hire a third coach when we have one playoff win in seven years? Like that's yeah. the first yeah. question any owner is going to ask. And if the answer is no, well then you're not going to get clearance to fire the coach. Right. It, like yeah. Jim Benning isn't operating with any autonomy, right? Like when you're exactly, making big yeah. decisions like this, even if you're the most trusted GM, you're going to have to run up by your owner. Mm -hmm. And at that stage, what are the like? What's ownership going to say? They're going to say, "Well, why, why should I afford you the opportunity to hire another coach?" And if, if that's not going to happen, well, then we're just going to play out the strings at the end of the year, reevaluate everyone, and we'll decide then. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. And I mean, maybe you could even see a world where ownership thinks that shit, Claude, Claude Julian's available. Uh, he may not be my GM's choice, but maybe he's my next GM's choice. And maybe it's going to precipitate a bit of a, 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 a quicker search, right? Because, I mean, remember what happened last time Claude Julian became available, right? There was a whole bunch of dominoes that fell with everybody just trying to pick him up. He's, he's that sought after. So you could well, you same can thing see with the, the Yeah, same thing with someone like Joel Quenville. Remember when he got hired yeah. in Chicago, yeah. right? It's, oh, we got to get rid of this guy. Uh, I think it was Savard was the coach. It's like, we got to get rid of him right now and bring him in because yeah. – there's a, a select group of coaches that you would say, if they become available, if you don't have the conversation internally, should we make a move? Then mm -hmm. you're not doing your job. Yeah. It's the same thing with a, you know, Jack Eichel's name comes up. You got to have that conversation. It might cost too much to do it, but you got to have the conversation. That's, yeah. that's doing the job. So if you're ownership, yeah, you're probably having that conversation of, Hey, Claude Julian's available. What do we think of him? Is it something that's viable? Where are we with Travis green? You got, you got to have those conversations. What did you make of uh, Alex Burroughs getting getting the tap to be an, an assistant coach for the Habs? I mean, uh, I you know I had a feeling he was going to make his way behind an NHL bench eventually. I, I thought it was a little bit quick for him to get in there, but uh, it's neat to see him in there. Can you first, I guess, well, what did you make of it? And uh, second, can you see him ever making his way out here? Uh, well, look, when you fire multiple player or multiple staff members, whether it's uh, 
Julian and Kirk Muller as well, right? There's space yeah, yeah. available. You're going to go to your AHL to, yeah. to sort it out. So good for Alex Burroughs. I, I don't think anyone's doubted his uh, mind for the game or his passion for the game. So yeah. that's an element that, you know, you want people who are going to be, you know, have skin in the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, for a guy who's obviously played for a long time, uh, I, I think he'll be successful uh, at some stage. Mm-hmm. What that looks like, whether it's, you know, head coaching sooner, this is a necessary step that was going to happen. You never see, you, you never like to see it happen when someone loses the job. You just want to see someone get promoted within. But uh, I, I think, he, I think he was going to be successful. Now it, it's, I haven't spent a lot of time watching Laval. I'll, I'll admit, <laughs> Fair, uh, yeah. but you know, just kind of checking in with people over the past, you know, season and a half of what do they think Burroughs is like? You just hear ringing endorsements basically. Yeah. And if he'll ever make his way to Vancouver, uh, look, I, I imagine there's a desire from the fan base, from ownership to what, at one point to bring someone who's so closely tied to the organization uh, yeah. in, in house, uh, obviously for, for Alex, like family matters, right? He, he, wanted to go out east to, to Ottawa, Montreal. Uh, mm-hmm. Being around his home obviously matters. Uh, at some point, does that does that element change for him, right? I think yep. the, the questions of does he come to Vancouver probably have more to do with Alex Burroughs than they do with ownership. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. And maybe Burroughs would look at somebody like Lyndon too and think that maybe do you really want to get involved? You know, because he's he, Burroughs is going to be – he's not paying for a yeah. deal in Vancouver no matter what for the rest of his <laughs> life unless he comes here and messes something up catastrophically, right? Sure, but the thing is it's – like there's only 32 head coaching jobs, right? Fair, yeah, and, fair. And, and there's only so many of these jobs. It's hard to turn down opportunities yeah. uh, at some stage. And if, if Vancouver is the only one come calling – uh, are you really going to say no? Uh, yeah. That's so like, that's kind of how I look at it. I think by yeah. and large, especially ex players, like we might have a conversation of, Hey, how do people view ownership and everything like that? You got to remember like the Aquilini signed all these guys checks. Yeah. While the, there might be the conversation of legacy and all that. It's not as if they don't have fond feelings of ownership. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. So I just said back to Aquilini for a second. This is this is the question that just slipped my mind a second ago. So what what, what did you make of his vote of confidence? Like, did do you think that that was the kiss of death? Or like, do you think that Benning's going to make it past the offseason? Uh, I do think that's the, the kiss of death. Yeah. Right. It, it just it's one of those things that doesn't age well. Now, I will say, like, it was necessary to do it. Like, it, it was it was getting very noisy around the Canucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was just becoming insane. And like, I, you, you can't, you can't do your day-to-day job, whether you're Travis Green, whether you're Jim Benning with that much noise, without much uncertainty. So it was necessary for Francesca Colini. Did, did he have to do it publicly? Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't necessarily care about that, but something needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And for him to make the announcement of, look, we're not making a decision today. We're going to kick it down the road. And, or, or like, back his guys you either need to relieve them or back your guys yeah and it was getting to fever pitch and, and he threw a blanket on the fire now there's all the elements of that whole conversation you can look at and if they make a decision on jim bidding in the offseason you'd say okay well what changed in three months mm-hmm. those are all valid critiques but something needed to happen and even if they take it in the teeth in three months and say well you lied three months ago they, they needed to do something then 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, this this market get you know it gets <laughs> once well, uh, it yeah. gets its teeth into something, right? And there's no there's no saying either way. We're just left to speculate, and then that speculate keeps getting hotter and hotter. Well, yeah. I, I'm not even sure if it's just this, this market, just any job where there's that yeah. much uncertainty. You you gotta reassure your own people to say, look, you, you have a job. You, do your job you have your job that needed to be said. And so hopefully, yeah. you know, we haven't talked about Jim Bainey getting fired for two weeks because it's a non-story now because the ownership has, has backed him. It was a yeah. story because there were enough whispers everywhere going around of would they, or would they, wouldn't they? And yeah. what is the timeline of, of Jim Bainey's tenure? Was it coming to an end? Those were all valid, fair conversation to have. Mm-hmm. And now they're not necessary because we're all, we're all on the same page now. We know it's going to come at the end of the season. Like we, we know they're going to get evaluated at the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's why they're, they're letting Travis green hang a little bit too. They're waiting to see what the, what the new GM does and if they want to keep Travis green or not. But I mean, this has been speculated on quite a bit as well, but I think, I think Seattle's come out publicly and said, they're going to wait until the season is over to, cause they're following or tracking some of these coaches that may become available. And, Man, would that ever be a storyline to see Travis Green go down the I-5 and be competing against the Canucks every night? That would be a lot of fun, right? Uh, yeah. You know, not that I want to see it because I think the Canucks should try to retain Travis Green, but yeah. uh, if there's already an instant rivalry with Vancouver yeah. Yeah. and Seattle. Well, why not add more to it, right? Add another log <laughs> to the fire. Yeah. Uh, I think for, for narratives and storylines, fantastic. All right, so Bick, I wanted to, to uh, transition just a little bit here into uh, kind of what's happening in the Vancouver media market. Uh, I mean, first, uh, we lost half the media presence in this town a, a couple of weeks ago now. I just wanted to, to get your thoughts maybe on uh, what must be a weird feeling to you to feel like uh, you guys are now the only show in town after coming in, uh, kind of being the underdog competitors. Uh, I will say we lost half the radio uh, yeah, presence, yeah, yeah. not the media presence. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, it, it sucks. And I've said this a lot. Uh, as much as there's professional rivalries, none of that really matters when we're talking in, in the case of people's livelihoods uh, being eliminated. It, it just, it just sucks because for it, and this goes for politics, for, for local news, whatever it is, when you have more people covering a story, you're going to get more angles. You're going to get more yeah. stories. You're going to get different perspectives and that's so important in media coverage. And now there's a handful of people that have been, for the time being, removed from the equation. There's a lot of talented people over there, and I suspect a lot of them will land on their feet. But in the short term, like it, it sucks. And then in the long-term picture of how this changes the landscape, it, it's it's 25-plus jobs that are removed. And I think yeah. there's a lot of students that have reached out to me in the past two, three weeks that have said that have, you know, have all echoed the same sentiments of well, what does this mean for me? And those are great questions to ask because it, it lowers the ceiling. And I think what's great about this fan base, and look, I'm talking to you about uh, Canucks and, and there's so many Canucks podcasts oh, yeah. and you know, this fan base, maybe more so than any supports. I hate saying this, but the little guy, right? Like the upstart. Yep. People tune into fan podcasts and they raise in popularity. Okay, well, what's the next growth for a podcast? It might go to radio, right? Whether it be a, a nighttime show or a weekend show. Well, mm-hmm. here's a bunch of time slots. I've been eliminated now. And 
if you want to start talking about growth of an industry and developing and investing in, you know, grassroots media and, and providing mm-hmm. opportunities, because you don't know where talent's going to come from. The, it, here's another opportunity taken away from everyone. And it just, it lowers the ceiling on everything. And that's what frustrates, frustrates me more than anything. It's, I do. I, I truly believe the city can support two radio stations, one hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, the the people over there like don't deserve what happened. Didn't deserve what happened. Uh, the manner in which it happened. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, we get to see them soon. Because uh, I never worked over there, but you know, obviously we're friendly with them. I, I'm friendly yeah. with them, and then and then we got a bunch of staff on our side that work over there that are all friends with them. Um, it's not something you ever really want to see. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it was uh, it was a real gut punch. Obviously, not only for those guys, but uh, selfishly for for all the the hockey fans in the city because we we definitely lost a, a major voice there. And I, I think you're right in terms of uh, Canucks. I mean, we've got a huge podcast presence. There's a million mm-hmm. of us out there talking, and you're right. Like we we do get pretty good listenership. But I think the like you're saying, the real issue comes in terms of just how the team may view uh that as a media presence right because the hardcore fans are going to get the hardcore podcasts but the the guys that are just listening to the radio all day are still going to hear half the voices that they're used to hearing because the team may not be granting media passes to smaller hockey podcasts to get on the zoom calls and ask those questions right no for sure and and the the first thing or one of the first things i thought of is and a lot of people said this as well is when it comes to for for us at 650 like yeah like we take on a greater responsibility now and i i hope everyone like i've tried to tell that to everyone that works with us is like understand we're a lot of eyes are are on us and we're here to serve everyone in general but now there's going to be naturally more people paying attention and so it's it's incumbent Mm -hmm. upon everyone uh at 650 to be willing to serve them and, and be willing to uh provide analysis and speak the truths that are necessary for for the fans yeah uh one one question i have for you just in terms of kind of the inside baseball of 650 is you know the 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 public perceptions of 650 and 1040 once 650 got the radio rights were that 650 was kind of carrying the bag for for the canucks whether that's true or not i mean i've I've been listening to you guys a bit now and i I don't i don't think that that's necessarily true but that's definitely the perception whereas 1040 was kind of the adversarial could could ask the hard-hitting questions but do you feel more of a responsibility to be a little more kind of adversarial now that uh you're the only show in town uh i'm I'm only gonna speak for me personally right because i can't speak for the other eight hosts on the station and i wouldn't want to speak for anyone that was on 1040 either yeah um me personally, the way I approach this is my goal every day on Canuck Central or a program wherever I'm talking is authentic and honest. Like, yeah. that's me. I, I don't come on podcasts. I don't try to be different than I am from noon to one. Uh, I, I don't, I, if you meet me out for a drink pre COVID or post COVID, uh, I'm, I'm just going to be myself. Yeah. And the idea that I, I you, you got to force at being adversarial or you got to force sugarcoating anything. Mm-hmm. I don't do that because I just feel like you're going to wind up falling into traps. I'm happy yeah. to be like, I'm happy to be wrong on my own analysis, but so long as I'm honest about it, I'm going to go to sleep fine about it. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to be wrong. It's an occupational hazard. Hey, I thought the Canucks were going to go to the playoffs. I thought they're going to have success this year. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to admit that I'm wrong, but I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to have success based on the idea of I work for the rights holders. 
I just yeah. thought they were a team that should improve, and they didn't. That's that's my L. It's not an L for the station or anything like that. Right, it's just, right. <laughs> I, I, I still go to sleep fine about it. So I, I don't attempt to try to sugarcoat anything. Uh, as you mentioned, you, you've listened for a while here, and it doesn't sound like anyone's yeah. trying to uh, cover anything up. It's, it's to me, it's just, can you be authentic? Can you be honest? And mm. that's how you make connections to listeners. And, and, and that's how you build a rapport with, with a, a very passionate fan base. Yeah. So uh, speaking of those, that, that passionate fan base, I mean, how can listeners who were just huge fans of 1040 and who are now coming over to, to, to give 650 a shot, uh, how, how can they engage and kind of get their, their feedback heard, I guess, is, is the best way to put it. Cause I, I'm sure, you know, you're hosting and producing, you get, tons of vitriol that comes through the, the text message inbox and you, you <laughs> yeah. kind of have to translate that into human speak for how you guys can, can go forward with it. But you know what, I'll be honest. It, it's like, there's passion, but there's not a lot yeah. of vitriol directed towards us. So there's oh, vitriol good, good. directed towards yeah. the team, right? Like when yeah, they're underperforming, yeah, yeah. that's fair. And we're happy to read that. Uh, I, I think for, for me, like my own personal mandate is like, it, it's tough some days, but like, I want to read every text I want to read every text that comes on that comes to our inbox and get it out every on air or at least like I, i'm happy to try to just reply to you and, yeah. and communicate with you through your text because i think it's important for fan voices to be heard for, for me radio is like we're a conversational hub we're, we're doing this to serve you the listener and you deserve your voice to be heard all the time so for me on my shows like engage with us text in 650 650 uh your voice is just as important as ours and that's how I like to approach radio. I think that's what's important. And I think that's where just media is going in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you're not serving and if you're not enhancing the voices of your consumer, then you're making it about you. And this isn't about me. Like, I'm happy to to be the, the point guard for it all. And I'm very, very fortunate to be put in, a, in an opportunity to do it. But for me, like, it's I'm doing the show for the listeners. I'm not doing it for me. I, I I don't need a bigger ego than I already have. <laughs> oh, man, I think that's a, that's a perfect place to leave it, Vic, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure to get the chance to speak with you. I mean, where can everybody keep up with you? Yeah, uh, at Vic650 on Twitter. Uh, that's mainly where I spend most of my day anyways. Uh, <laughs> but, of course, uh, noon to one on Sportsnet 650. You can catch us online at sportsnet.ca slash 650 if you want to stream at work. Use the Sportsnet app or the Radio Player Canada app. Uh, and uh, certainly on any of your smart speakers, wherever you can find Sportsnet 650, a lot of different places. Beautiful, Will Bick. Thanks, thanks so much again, man, for coming on the show and talking Canucks after what feels like a uh, devastating uh, previous night. And hopefully, we'll catch you again down the line. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Hockey Minute.